Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Quantum Consumer Podcast. Uh, we have a... This is going to be fucking good. We have quite a large group of people here on the podcast today. We have uh, Aaron. <laughs> All right, we have <laughs> we have two short. Yeah. All right, we have. I don't even want to fucking call it that. It's all right. We'll call you. We'll call you Cumshot. It's all good. It's explicit anyway. Yo, what up? We have Kamikaze. Yeah. And we have Willie Will. Yes, Lord. All Sorry, right. I and pick a shit. What happened? Hi, this is Aaron. Oh. Hi. All right. So I just took a shit. This is the fourth episode of the Quantum Consumer Podcast. It's now available on Spotify. So if you all are joining on the Twitch, go ahead and uh, hop over to Spotify and give us a follow. But these these beautiful people have uh, collected some topics they want to talk about. But as usual, we kind of just fall down the rabbit hole with our uh, conversations. So whoever would like to present the first topic, I know. Uh, I know Too Short was really excited. Yes, Lord. <laughs> hey, nah, but what I was trying to say when a uh, dude that was eating a sandwich kept talking, he was you know, interrupting. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about uh, who actually contributed something to science, mm-hmm. is um, he's famous. Does he has he actually have any notable work in the science realm? You know who I'm talking about. You see him on all them Netflix movie specials about science stuff. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? <clears throat> yes. Oh. Uh, so Neil deGrasse Tyson is the... <laughs> what does he mean to science? So he is a astrophysicist. Um, he is yeah. the director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York. Um, mm-hmm. As far as his works, uh, he has a, quite a few books. Um, very knowledgeable about the topic. Uh, shout out to Star Talk Radio podcast, which is a excellent podcast hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, a great, uh, a great resource for just scientific knowledge. Just, just fountains of fountains of knowledge. Um, if we look at his work, um, uh, his professional research interests. This is from Google here. Uh, are broad but includes star formation, exploding stars, dwarf galaxies. And the structure of our Milky Way. Uh, in 2000, in 2001, Tyson was appointed by President Bush to serve on a 12-member commission that studied the future of the U.S. aerospace industry. So his his contributions were de- in the research fields uh, regarding the star formations, exploding stars, dwarf galaxies, and stuff like that. So he he is he has done research um, with scientists. So he he definitely contributed to something. I mean, you can say uh, fucking. Uh, Bill Nye also contributed because he was working with Boeing and stuff like that. So as far as his contributions, I've never read any of his papers, but I'm sure that he has definitely helped our understanding of uh, the larger aspects of the universe, such as galaxies and stars. What, um, uh, dude, I think he, I think he passed away. 
Stephen Long Hawking. Stephen Hawking. Um, yeah, yeah. Stephen Hawking. He was black holes. Research on black holes. Stephen Hawking. He was important, right? Was he, was, he was super important. The very, very greatest important. mind in theoretical physics. He introduced the idea of Hawking radiation, uh, named after uh, Stephen Hawking. Um, it gave us the idea and the it proposed the, the the question that whether or not black holes evaporate and mm -hmm. they actually do. Black holes will actually die, quote unquote, if they do not keep on and taking mass. And he proposed this idea and it was later uh, it explained many different things about black holes, um, notably how they lose mass and how they actually uh, eventually die out. And so far, it's the leading theory that we have of how black holes behave. Um, the actual I, the actual function and the actual mechanism that um, Hawking radiation takes place is absolutely mind blowing. The uh, if we can get into that, if y'all if y'all like, um, but it's a really interesting and counterintuitive uh, idea of how black holes actually die. So do scientists? Hey guys, I'm gonna be right back. I'm gonna go get my stuff in the cleaners. All right, all right. I'm gonna still um, be on though. Is like scientists and shit. Like, is that something you do it to get paid well, or is it something because you love to do it? So, like, a lot of jobs, like people do it, and I'm like, yo, do you? Is it worth it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, if you look at, if you ask many scientists, it's probably it's a passion of theirs. But there is yeah. definitely money in fields of science. So you are. To, if you want to go work with science, you're typically at a research facility. It could be government funded, um, or it could be a private institution, and they 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 actually you know get a paycheck and stuff like that. Um, I don't know the current the current salaries of research workers, but it has to be decent if you're going to make a living off of it. Um, you yeah. can be working at CERN, the Large Hadron Collider over in Switzerland, or one of the local uh, colliders in the United States. I don't think they're no, I think that project was botched. I don't think we have a collider here in the United States. But there's definitely money in it. Uh, if I ha if I me going into it, it would be out of just love for science. It would just be okay. me trying to work with science as much as possible. So whether it be a research facility or even becoming a professor of astronomy, um, you know, that's it's definitely out of love for the subject. Um, but there is definitely money that you can find with this type of uh, work. So, yeah, you know, like a, sorry to interject. Just as a like an average like idea for uh, y'all, the the average like rough estimate of the average salary of researchers mm -hmm. uh, locally and and just throughout the U.S. is anywhere from fifty two k to a hundred k is is the average. Mm -hmm. It's not too bad. But if you're like talking like somebody working at NASA, like I'm looking at it, they can make depending on their status within NASA, they can make up to mm -hmm. three million a year. Damn, nice. Well, that got to be like hardcore, right? Because there's le there's levels to science, right? Like the guys, that, like you said, NASA. I'm pretty sure those guys are like, they're thinking of like 100 years from now, right? Like they're thinking of shit that's, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, NASA no. NASA is a specific organization that is more focused on space travel. So they're running, um, they're running the systems with the International Space Station, receiving mm -hmm. data from their satellites. Uh, they're still monitoring the Mars rovers that are on Mars. Like it's a there's a really large docket list that you can go down with what NASA does. Of course, their major issue is government funding because they hardly have funding now. So they can. That's why you see Elon Musk with SpaceX, who is just like mm -hmm. pushing forward and has all the funding he ever wants to allocate to his stuff, 
And that's why he's so close to achieving what he wants, which is eventually uh, taking people to Mars. Um, so it's, it's money is everything with uh, science. If you don't have money, you're not going to advance. So, so you, you, do you go ahead, Aaron. Okay. Oh, oh, this is uh, it's dull. Oh, my but, uh, <laughs> no, no, you're good. Um, so this is kind of going back a little bit, but um, about Neil deGrasse Tyson. So the thing, um, I didn't know, like, I, I um, I got into him because uh, I watched the Joe Rogan podcast, and mm-hmm. uh, so I got into Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast, um, because of that, and. No, I didn't know he was doing all that other stuff, but I knew about his books. Um, and so I actually read um, Astro uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Yes. And the thing I really like about um, someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson or like Bill Nye is you could literally like that book is meant for people that legit have like little to no knowledge of astrophysics. And it really kind of like dumbs it down for those people and it explains it in a really good way for these people to understand it. And it's, it yeah. just really keeps it interesting. Those... And so that's what I really like is because um, Cox really talked about this before the podcast a lot too. Yeah. Um, saying that like, you know, if you're getting these people interested in this, this like little thing, that's going to help our next generation that like that can lead to the next person, you know, finding like a big discovery about something in space, just something in, in science. And that's uh, that's where like Neil deGrasse Tyson, in my opinion, has had mm-hmm. a huge impact. It's just like influencing people that literally maybe didn't care about science or had no knowledge of science yep. and really getting them interested in it and like actually coming out with like a decent base knowledge of it. And uh, that's that's what I really have liked like about him. And then if you watch uh, Star Talk, he goes way more in depth with it too. And he brings on a lot of like different guests that know just a ton about it. But it's a... Uh, it's, so, it's really interesting. Is um is uh because I seen I watched the thing because I'm one of them people I didn't really understand it. I watched a, a thing on YouTube. Is um Machio like up there with him or is he past him or is he you know what I'm talking about right? Machio uh, Kaku or whatever. Yes, uh, he's Japanese been guy? on a couple shows. I actually don't know his <laughs> credential. I don't know his credentials. I don't know what degree he has. But um, yeah. yeah, we're like those are all public figureheads i think of science everyone knows bill nye everyone knows pretty much knows neil degrasse tyson everyone knows um knows him so like they are in my opinion equally as important because we need people in stem in science technology engineering mathematics we need people in those because science is what takes a civilization forward without it you there's no progression that's like the life 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 doesn't get better. It's, if you don't have science, life does not get better. NASA, for example, the contributions to normal everyday life that NASA has given to us, NASA gave us baby formula. NASA, yes, Infamil was a formula that was created by NASA uh, as a means of sustenance for astronauts on space travel. Without Without NASA to do that work, NASA saved millions of children's lives because yeah, I didn't know that. and you didn't have to go to a donor you didn't have to get go to breast milk donors you can have formula that you just add to water and then boom there you go you can feed your child uh, we got teflon a non-stick mm-hmm. coating that is on almost every piece every pot and pan that you can go to the supermarket today that was that yeah. was an invention by uh, nasa you have amazing glass that was 
first popped up on smartphones that was better than the previous product. And then, of course, you know, other research went into it, and now we have even better glass from other companies. So space travel has provided us with better technology that everyday consumers can use, um, and that's important. And then you get to the issue of people saying, well, we haven't even discovered most of our oceans. Yes, right. it is significant. There's two different worlds, like literally two different worlds. You have it is it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's far easier to explore space than it is to explore the oceans. As huh. as so, odd as that might sound, it's far easier. Exactly. So who deals with so the people that that do the science of space are called astronomers, right? So you, yep. so there's different fields. You have astronomy. Like the main ones. You have astronomy, astrophysics, mm -hmm. um, you have cosmology, you have mm -hmm. you have um what, what is it called? Micro uh, is it cosmo I think it's astrobiologists who are studying Yeah, astrobiologists. Is so the studying of like quote unquote life in the universe, uh or outside of Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, there's quite a few um, fields that go into science, but those are like the most notable that come off the top of my head. So um, what are the ones that study stuff that's on Earth? Like you said, the water, the ocean. What are they? So, marine biologists. So you have marine biologists, big... you have oceanographers, uh -huh. you have uh -huh. um, microbiologists are most notable for their work here on Earth. Uh, yeah. Geologists as well get down in there. Um, so yeah, you have bunch of different fields for each each domain i guess you can say uh, okay aaron you have something yes yes i do so um i actually had a question relating to the something we don't know about oceans mm -hmm. one of the one of the things i discovered recently <laughs> that i've been almost obsessing over is brine pools i think oh yeah fucking yeah. crazy yeah so for the viewers so, or the listeners oh, that don't know, you want to describe man. it? Yeah, or I don't know. Go ahead. So a brine pool is a uh, – it's an underwater phenomenon where basically – I mean, there's a, it's a volume of what can be described as just brine. Basically, it's just like super thick salt water. Mm -hmm. And it's a, collecting on the seafloor in a, like a depression – and so basically what it is, it's a dense body of water underneath the water, like underneath the water. So yep. it's like a lake inside it's, the ocean. It's a, it's a lake in the ocean. Yeah. And it's like one of the first people who discovered this stated like, hey, as we go down, they tried to dip into it in their submarine. And they literally bounced off of it. Just like, hmm. a, just like rubber. Because of how dense the water. Yeah, was. you. It's it's a it's one of the craziest phenomena. I'm about to put up uh, some pictures on this stream now for our live viewers. Um, yeah, their regions. Uh, yeah, Aaron just hit it right on the head. Uh, the water uh, in these brine pools has a much higher concentration of salt, making them denser, so they actually sink to the bottom of the ocean. And so you'll find them in these craters, or you know, essentially there's puddles. Uh, it's really one of the craziest things. I think uh, the idea of how they form is kind of dubious. Um, how the yeah. how these uh, how this water in particular gets to such a high salinity level. Um, there's probably information that we can find on that. And yeah, we have and there's also a whole other side of research about these brine <laughs> pools into the life forms that can actually survive in these super saline conditions. Yeah. 
That's what I was gonna ask. Uh, because there's pictures in here, you see uh, crabs, for example, who stray a little bit too close and just die um, mm. because of the salinity of the water. Very, very interesting parts of the ocean. Because like brine pools themselves, for just as like a reference, so you know like the Dead Sea, it's one of the densest yeah. like parts of the ocean, or any body of water. It's one of the saltiest and like just densest. Yeah, because we would be swimming so, on it. The average brine pool can be assumed to be five times thicker, like or have five times as much salt as the Dead Sea. Mm. It's a very, very, very lot. That's a lot of salt. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you could feed so, a family of four with that. So I was gonna ask, like, what y'all think of the? Because uh, I, I like watching like Nat Geo and Animal Planet and stuff. Uh, them, uh, them big ass squids. You think there's one bigger than the one we found? I seen the largest one today, and that's that motherfucker big. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Considering the. 90- Do you think there's some dinosaurs down there? Yeah, it's like ninety-eight percent of the ocean is undiscovered. So you have yep. you have things like uh, these things, which are the giant squids, right? Just absolutely yeah, just giant fucking things, right? Uh, we have that live on the for the viewers on Twitch. Um, yeah, these things are fucking mon- monstrosities. They're huge. Um, now we have like other things, other creatures in the ocean that have not evolved mm-hmm. for quite a long time. The sea lamprey. <laughs> is one of those creatures who has not evolved for millions of years. They've survived quite a couple mass extinctions. (laughs) And, you know, those are some of the cases. Maybe for almost certain, if we look deeper in the ocean, we find these creatures. There are probably more and more creatures who haven't evolved very much in millions of years uh, because they're so specialized to life in the deep ocean. Yeah. Yeah, like one one of them I'd like to propose that's been around for like a long, long time that I really like think is a super cool looking but also just like kind of interesting is called the greenland shark it is a really really old pre like a pre basically a prehistoric shark but yeah. it is it just it, it, the aesthetic of it is amazing and just the 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 questions that come up just are yeah uh. so what y'all think megalodon is still out there that big ass shark I'm sure that there is a very large shark. I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's already big. Maybe Megalodon evolved further into another creature we just haven't seen yet. Maybe. Mm. I feel like less there less. I feel like there is a very large shark out there, but I don't think it's like up to the size that people believe Megalodon is. Yeah. But I feel like there is probably something bigger than what we've seen out there. Just because like Jesse said, we've explored so little of the ocean. We know so little about it especially uh in like the deeper areas um so it's i i feel like there is a very big possibility that there could be something maybe not the size that people think megalodon is but i think something maybe somewhat close to it bit of a i want to see like a larger than a blue whale sized manta ray yeah because like they actually have those like giant manta rays are a thing i don't remember if they have a different name but they're enormous. They're like in the top five largest creatures in the ocean. They're bigger than a lot of whales. Here's a bit of uh, a trivia question. What is the largest creature to ever exist on Earth? Mm-hmm. Largest creature ever to exist on a Earth. A whale? Isn't it a whale? It is, it is a whale. 
Blue whale. Yeah. Uh, yes. Blue whale. A blue yeah. whale is the largest creature to ever exist on Earth. It out. It out. It is outshining many of the dinosaurs. Yeah, because um, it's a hundred foot long. Uh, not only that, but like also sheer weight as well. Yeah, sheer of course, no, no wonder it's in the fucking ocean, so it doesn't really have to have legs, does it? Yeah, what's, yeah. Uh, what's, what's this thing you call buoyancy? Don't they have knees <laughs> in their bones? Uh, uh, if you, you look, look at... They have knees, right? Pre- pretty sure I've seen that with beluga whales. They have, like, knees, or sort of, like, what would be equivalent to knees in the bone structure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you have those guys. Hmm. Beluga whales having knees. Probably, like, the source of, like, the mermaid myths and legends and stuff like that. Yeah, because they'd find, like, the bones of a beluga whale mixed with, like, some, maybe some dead human, like, dead humanoid, like, dead human mixed with, like, a beluga whale, and then there's, like, a fin involved. It can get kind of weird. Also, just, just for your guys' information as well, about yeah. how, like, because I mentioned the length of blue whales, but the yeah. mass of blue whales, the adult can get up to 330,000 pounds. Damn. <laughs> That is very heavy. I can't even imagine that. Damn, boy. So you could put a whale on land, it would like break through, right? The yeah, the reason why uh, whales the, what? the reason why whales die on beaches is because their sheer weight crushes them and they can't breathe. That's why whales die when they're out of water. Their bodies are not at all designed to hold their weight. That's why they have to be in the water. Which actually leads into another interesting question that I'll have later. <laughs> whales is fun. Like talking about whales. Has, so, has anybody been whale watching before? I have uh, not. I have not. I really want to go someday. I did it when I was in Hawaii. I'll tell you a good spot to do it at. Oh, please. That'd be amazing. I'll tell I'm you where it's at. My wife. I want to go up yeah. to um, that. Was it the San Juan Islands up here in Washington? Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that's a really good spot. You see, like a lot of orcas and stuff like that. You see, like a lot of, uh, you can go whale watching out there. You can see like a ton of stuff out there. I think that'd be really cool to check out. If you could teleport, all right, anywhere in space. If you could teleport anywhere in space, you can be completely immune. You'll be fine. You'll only be there for five seconds, and then get teleported back to where you were. Where would you go? Hmm. hmm. Completely immune, as in like nothing will yeah, happen. Nothing, get, nothing. Like, experience. Yeah, nothing will happen. You'll just be able to see whatever is happening. See, I want to go outside the universe. <laughs> what well, be within the universe? Ooh. Did you say within the universe? Hey, eh, hang on. That's pretty good. Okay, hang on. So you're or, you want to go to the particle horizon? Whatever that is. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, buckle up, boys. Know, like what's well, outside well, before of our we universe? Buckle up, how about everybody else answer first? Yeah, go ahead and answer, and we'll talk about the particle horizon. All right, everybody else, where would you go? Hmm. Anybody else? Anybody else? I know where I'd go, but I'm I'm waiting for other answers. Go ahead, uh, go ahead, Aaron, while other people think. Okay, um, I would want to go to Andromeda. What was that? The Andromeda Galaxy. It's the one that's supposed to collide with the Milky Way Galaxy in a couple billion years. Damn. Oh. I, I guess would, I would, would want to go to Andromeda to see what their galaxy looks like, like from a perspective of like, because you know how we can see the Milky Way like on on specific places of Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to see 
what Andromeda looks like from a galactic perspective on one of its planets. Hmm. Mm, probably, I got, got my brain going. Probably a little a bit. I need to be in. Probably a little <laughs> bit like the Milky Way. It looks. I know it looks similar, but like um, I just wonder because I just wondered like, would it look different? What 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 constellations would I still be able to see? Like, you would, would not be able to see any constellations. How many um, new constellations could I that I create? Yeah, you would be able to have. You would have to make an entirely new set of constellations. I'm gonna be that fucking amazing guy who comes back with a fucking map that I draw in five seconds of Andromeda's so galactic layout. While you guys continue to think about where would you want to go, we'll go ahead and talk about uh, the particle horizon. Okay. Oh, who else? Anybody else have anything before I start going going on about that? Um, oh, I was gonna say. Flareon stated that she would like to uh, go back and hit Wings Express at Fort Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was gonna say um, if I was to go anywhere, it'd probably be one of the Kepler planets, um, because from what I've heard, those are the most habitable, uh, like exoplanets, other than oh, Earth. Oh yeah. Um, so it'd be kind of interesting going there, even though. You know, you said be immune, so I couldn't really truly find out if I like if I was immune. I couldn't really find out if I would live or not if I was on there. But well, I mean, uh, you could you could grab a sample of the ground. Yeah, uh, that's what I was gonna say. It was like grab the sample of the ground, kind of look around. You'd only be there for five seconds, but it you could come back with that. Be like, hey, this is what I got. This is this really is livable or it's not uh, compared to Earth. Yo, just to get something cleared up, the solar system is the same thing as the universe, right? No. 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 All right, all right, break it down for me. How does it go? Okay. Planet? Are you ready? We're, we're going to yeah, zoom out from Earth, system. okay? Sorry, I don't know. We're going to zoom out from Earth. And actually, uh, what we could do is I can actually pop into the game Space Engine, and we'll actually have some visual thing. This is a good thing about being live on the Twitch, so you guys can actually see this stuff. We're actually going to do that. We're going we're to actually gonna give a visual representation of the scale of the universe, all right? So you guys, I can't really stream to Discord at the same time, so we're just gonna do it on Twitch. So we'll actually just uh, do that presentation right now. But just to say it in words, we're gonna have, we're gonna have the planet Earth. We zoom out and we have the uh, parent-child parent body of the Earth and the Moon. You zoom out from there, you get to the solar system. You zoom out from there, you get to intergalactic space. You zoom out from there. Uh, pardon me. You get you zoom out from the solar system. You get interstellar space. You zoom out from there. You get to the galaxy. You zoom out from there. You get to intergalactic space. And you zoom out from there, and then you then you have yourself in uh, the universe. So one solar system makes a universe. Yeah, one solar system. No. There there are oh, yeah. there are billions, if not trillions, of solar systems in the Milky Way galaxy alone. Oh, I'm all fucked up. In my uh, <laughs> Google Doc Drive uh, document, I posted in the chat. <laughs> All right, so uh, we are live uh, with Space Engine, a amazing game for talking about such topics, and we're actually going to experience um, the scale of the universe here. So let's orient ourselves um, how we are in the in the uh, solar system here. Here's the US of A. If we actually hit the current time, this is the current position of the Earth in reference to space. So we see that uh, it's it's now dark in the uh, United States as it's nighttime. 
So let's go ahead and start zooming out here. So uh, that's what uh, this is, by the way, this little, this really streaky stuff to the right of Earth is the Milky Way galaxy. You can actually see the Milky Way galaxy kind of wraps around the entirety of Earth as we are in the midst of it, right? So here we go. We're going to zoom out here. Uh, let's also note the sun over there with some planets. If we go ahead and press uh, F1, this will give us a little bit of a better view, um, and we'll kind of see... Right now we're w looking at the uh, Earth and Moon system right here. Let's start zooming out, shall we? We start zooming out. And we start to see this sphere of objects kind of come into uh, the, the viewpoint here. These green lines represent the orbits of the different planets. All those gray dots are asteroids. We zoom out even farther. And this is the system right here. You got um, it. Currently, we are away from the camera. Uh, the diameter of this is about 149 astronomical units. One astronomical unit is equivalent to 93 million miles. Astronomical unit is, God, a, is a unit of measurement. It is equal to the distance between the Earth and the sun. So the Earth orbits approximately 93 million miles away from the sun. Um, if we continue zooming out, so now at this point, we're, we're in interstellar space, right? We are outside of our solar system. We keep zooming out here. We keep on going and going and going. And now approximately four light years away, uh, we start to encounter the very first stars that are nearby. Um, Alpha Centauri uh, is one of the notable ones. If we go ahead and turn on this mode, we kind of get the um, what's called the uh, a sort of plane that we can reference stuff to and we're going to use this as we zoom out even farther right so as we can see we're popping in more and more star systems that are local to us we keep on zooming out zooming out zooming out zooming out and we get to this point this is our position in the milky way galaxy oh damn now, I have this uh, setting turned on where only real objects are visible. Real objects only are visible. So every point you see on this game right now is a real object out in, our, out in the universe. But if you notice, it's only really in this sector where the Earth is, right? Because the whole span of the Milky Way galaxy right here is about 100,000 light years across. So in this view right now, we are looking at 100,000 light years of space just right here. So if we zoom out even farther, now we're getting into intergalactic space. We are now in between galaxies in our universe. We are zooming out even farther and farther and farther and farther. And here we have the observable universe, which is spanning 873 million light years. Of course, this is only the shot that we know about. And then let's do this. Let's do. Let's have a little fun. Let's have a little fun. Let's go ahead and do this. But in this view, so let's just zoom out. Boom! There we are. Look at all these beautiful dots everywhere. Each of those dots represent a galaxy in the universe, and each of those galaxies have billions, if not trillions, of stars. And each of those planets, more than likely, each each of those stars, more than likely, has a planet. We zoom out even farther. And now we're seeing just the incredible universe just before us yeah so who came up with the mathematics fact, actually uh, if i may real quick about the stars 
There are approximately 700 sextillion stars in the entire universe. Pretty crazy. So who came up with the mathematics to uh, to uh, 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 measure how far everything is in oh, space? Oh, that's a very good fucking question. Let's talk about it. So uh, who came up with all this? Shit? So I do not know who, but somebody can look up the term parallax. Uh, parallax. So how we get three di three our three dimensional vision, right? We have two eyes, and they're spread out upon our face. Okay. Now mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're able to use this cross-reference with our eyes to gauge distance between two objects, okay? If we go to Earth, for example, we'll kind of demonstrate what we got. Let's go to Earth. Okay, we'll go and face Earth. We'll zoom over to Earth, going very, very fast. Um, what we end up doing is the Hubble telescope will look at an object, and it will look at the object when it's on opposite sides of an orbit. Okay, so you take the orbit of an object. So let's say, let's use the moon, for example. Um, so the moon, for example, let's say we had a really badass telescope on the surface of the moon. What we would end up doing is we would take the orbit on one side, we would take a picture, and then we'd go around to the other side of the orbit, take another picture, and that is essentially our two eyeballs looking out into mm. space. And we do some some fancy math with angles, trigonometry, and it spits out an approximate distance to that object. So we're able to look at an object that is 13 billion light years away, and we're able to figure out how, how far away that object is. We could also even look at um, things called um, red shifting or blue shifting, um, which is the, the property of light. As something is traveling away from you, uh, the light will be red shifted. So the actual wavelengths of light actually stretch out and they actually shift colors uh, or wavelengths. Now to, to show you why you would have to make an entirely new set of constellations, uh, we have this function here, which actually shows you all of the constellations in reference to Earth, which is pretty wild, right? So we have uh, Canis Major, we have, where's my favorite? Where's my favorite at? Let's see. We've got Orion, so there's Orion. Uh, in all of its glory. But what happens if we go to Betelgeuse over here? So Betelgeuse is a star in the constellation of Orion. Let's zoom over to uh, uh, Betelgeuse, and you'll start to see these lines start stretching and being all weird. Look how three-dimensional the constellations actually are. So here we are at Betelgeuse, a very large star, and we look back at Earth, and you see all these lines everywhere. Those are the lines that humans have created thousands of years ago to make these constellations. And they end up being constellations are specific to Earth. If you move anywhere else other than Earth, the constellations will be completely different. You won't actually be able to see. If you went to, say, Jupiter, let's say you went out of the solar system, you probably wouldn't be able to see Orion. But that, that will conclude this portion of, of the... Uh, of that section. We can always go back if you guys have um, questions about it. That's all I got on that one. Oh, um, so my one question is, um, so Proxima B, yes. uh, how, approximately how far away is that from here? Are you talking about Proxima Centauri? Um, is it Proxima Centauri? I think it's 
Proxima Centauri B. So you have you have Proxima Centauri that is reference to the star, and then Proxima Centauri B would be the planets in orbit around the uh, around the star. Um, uh, yeah, I was talking about the planet because yeah. uh, I believe it is the most. It's, it's the closest. It's the closest. It's approximately. Uh, it's approximately four light years. It might be a little bit more. So four light years is very far. Uh, four light years, of course, that is how long it takes light to travel to that system or from vice versa so it is approximately four light years away so if we do four light years to miles for example as we're all familiar with that uh that is approximately 2.35 with 13 zeros behind it oh man <laughs> how long would it take to get there Another great question. So our fastest object that we have is Voyager 2. Voyager 2 is um, a craft that was launched in the 20th century. Uh, it was launched in 1977, and it is in interstellar space right now. It is outside of our solar system. Um, so if we look at the speed of Voyager 2, um, we see it's traveling about 15.4 kilometers per second. Mm -hmm. um, if we were to take that speed, how long would it take to travel to Proxima Centauri going 15.4 kilometers per second? So we have this guy, which is uh, New Horizons, another spacecraft, a probe. Um, the spacecraft traveled at speeds topping 52,000 miles per hour. Um, at that rate, it would take New Horizons about 54,000 years to reach Proxima Centauri. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, so basically, we won't ever see the information from that in our lifetime. Space is big. If they ever get it back. So, that, so that's the thing, though. Like, they can send that probe out there, but we'll still, it, we would have, let's say that probe was out there at Proxima Centauri. And it was sending information like pictures and shit back to us. It would yeah. we would have to wait four years for those pictures to finally arrive. Coupled That's with coupled with the uh, fifty two thousand years it would take for it to actually get there in the first place. Oh, okay, still not there yet. Okay. Yeah, so space is very large, and that's when we get into the sort of theorized methods of faster than light travel. So wait, how can they control it if it's, like, that far? That's a great question. So when we launch probes and stuff, we yeah. we have all of the math, all of the situations loaded in to what is happening. So, for example, when we do a, a, a gravity assist from Jupiter, say, we aim, we aim the probe where Jupiter will be, right? Because as time passes, the planets shift around. So you have to aim it where the planet is going to be. And all of this is all of this is set up beforehand. So we have to know what the mission is, what, what our goal is. So let's say we want to do a flyby of Jupiter, shoot out to Pluto, and get information back. So they do – it's a shit ton of math. We have computers that can do it for us now. It is absolutely bonkers. You take all that math, you input it into the mission, and then you have a launch window. You launch that probe, and then it just ex executes what's going on. It'll have a timer, and it knows exactly when to fire the thrusters for how long, and then it just gets into position. It's um, 
it's a ballet on a planetary scale um as far as those kind of missions okay but the person that gave us that math was isaac newton right he gave us the math of he gave us the math of gravity on how to calculate posi orbital positions orbits and stuff like that and of course einstein sort of refined it a little bit gave us another idea of how gravity works and it sort of just evolved from there okay. space is scary big but we were, we were going to talk about the particle horizon um so we have something that's called the observable universe and that spans approximately about, I think, I believe it's like 19, what is it, observable universe size. And we say observable universe because the universe is actually expanding. It's expanding faster than the speed of light. Uh, so the universe itself is expanding faster. Pardon me, the, di the radius, hang on, we got some feedback bomb your feedback is going through your thing uh huh, oh, okay <laughs> the is it better yeah it's better now <laughs> so yeah okay. the um the radius is 46 billion light years across that's the observable universe and that is where that radius that sphere is where we're actually able to receive light from those distant objects mm -hmm. outside of that we cannot receive light from objects because space at that point is traveling faster than the speed of light away from us and light literally can't travel to us I got you. so hmm. it's theorized that if we were to say quote unquote teleport directly to the particle horizon or the edge of the observable universe there would likely be more universe um it's just you're it's like a it's like a horizon if you will on earth we have a horizon that's the extent that we can see to right so let's say you were to teleport somewhere else, you have an entirely new uh, horizon that you can see in the universe. And that is that changes depending on where you go uh, in the universe. It's very, very vast. So um, for like, I guess for like astrologists, for... Um... For that like what do you think uh are what are some of the things that they're like re like really researching right now and what do you think are some like future things they will be like looking heavily into because i know a big thing they always look at is like asteroids also i know we have several like probes out there yeah um going to several planets ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And uh, what, what do you think is like, what, what is something like interesting right now that they're doing? And like, what do you think is something that uh, I guess they will be, that you think they'll be doing in the future that could be very important for us, I guess? Off the top of my head, without looking at any kind of news right now, we're still probably trying to look into black holes. Um, we're still trying to land on asteroids to collect samples. Um, to find evidence of, or we're trying to find organic molecules. So we're talking like amino acids and stuff like that on asteroids. We're trying to look for that. Um, we're probably going to be trying to improve our standings with propulsion. So we're, we might in the future be getting closer and closer to the speed of light when it comes to uh, traveling um, through space. So instead of 52,000 years, you could just wait four years and then your probe would already be at the destination. Um, but definitely the focus, I think, in my focus would be keeping an eye out for interstellar objects in the solar system and sending probes to them to collect samples and return them to Earth. Um, they, those are probably the top two because we just recently had in 2018 or 17, we had Oumuamua, which was a interstellar object that entered our solar system. And we only discovered it as it was heading out of our solar system. Uh, it was going very fast, <laughs> very fast. Um, so we want to, we want to, have the ability to spot those in advance and send something out there to collect data about it before it's too late. We only got managed to get pictures and stuff and some, you know, radioscopic data from it. Uh, but hopefully in the future, when we are able to see more of them come in, we can kind of gather more data about them. So I think the focus would probably be some biochemistry going on um, or astrobio, astrobiology and stuff like that to collect data on life in the universe uh because one of the greatest one of the greatest scientific discoveries will be the discovery of extraterrestrial life oh um, yeah it would be a very huge milestone in the history of mankind to answer the question if we're alone um but if you look at the like likelihood is we're probably not I think most people are concerned with the likelihood of us finding macroscopic life such as ourselves and like animals on earth. But what I'm, what we're pro more likely going to find is microscopic life, say on Mars or evidence of microscopic life on Mars. That's probably what we might find. Um, than macroscopic because macroscopic has a little bit more complexity to it than single celled organisms and stuff like that. Okay. Hmm. Checking the chat for other other questions. We have a question. How long is the average space mission? Um we can sort of let's go ahead and dive into that. Uh how long is the average space mission? About six months, says republicworld.com. Um, but that is regards to astronauts. Uh, so I guess that would be regarding to International Space Station, 
Uh, the longest time that anyone has spit, spent in space, I believe, is a year. Um, so the whole 365 days and maybe some change out in space. Um, so it, it depends on the function. The, the probes and stuff will be out there for a very long time. Decades. Um, such as the geosynchronous satellites that we have in orbit. Those have been out there for decades now. It's all dependent on the function of what we need to do. What effects does it have on your body? Um, that was actually the reason why we did that mission, is to find out the effects on your body. Uh, the Scott Kelly and his brother... Um, so if we bring up information about Scott Kelly... Uh, Scott Kelly um, is an astronaut who spent... He spent the year. He spent. He spent the year in space. He's a twin, so he actually has a twin brother. Um, and they spent. One of them spent the year in space, while the other one stayed on Earth to actually see other effects that there that there are on the astronauts. When he came back, uh, he was taller because there was no gravitational compression on his spine, so he grew a couple inches. Of course, that would be you know fixed as he's on Earth, so he's now shorter now. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they found changes in his actual DNA from the uh, cosmic rays and high-energy particles that came through the International Space Station. Uh, so it, it, in a way, it, I guess you could say it, it kind of altered his DNA, if I remember correctly, which is absolutely gonna, crazy to think about. I was going to say for a minute, if, uh, if he came back tall, I was going to say we need to send McKnight up to space. Damn. <laughs> That's cruel. <laughs> yeah, uh, from what I remember, it uh, altered some of his DNA. Uh, as far as breaking down would result in cancer. Uh, hopefully he doesn't uh, develop any cancer from that experience. So let's see at this time. We're going to take a brief intermission. We'll go ahead and have a little break here, allow our guests to recuperate, um, and then we will be back uh, after this break. You're listening to the Quantum Consumer Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Twitch and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Now back to the show with your host, Brandon Cox. I mean, <laughs> all right, folks, welcome back from that short little break. Um, we are still here with our guests here, and we have a get into some sports now. An area of uh, expertise that I'm not into, I don't have much knowledge about sports, maybe wrestling. That's pretty much it. He's perfect. We can go ahead and skin him up. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Take it away. All right, so uh. As a lot of people probably know, uh, the Super Bowl is this week. Uh, the Chiefs and the Bucks are playing. Um, right now, the Chiefs are only a three-point favorite. And uh, But, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of worried because a recent report just came out that uh, the Chiefs barber yesterday got COVID. And he was mm. scheduled to cut like 20 of the Chiefs players' hair, mm. including Mahomes. 
so far, the only person that is on the COVID list because of it is Daniel Kilgore, who is one of our O-line. But we can't lose him because we already have our two starting tackles out. And with the Bucks, the Bucks have a very strong pass rush. Right now they're saying Pierre Paul and uh, Levante David were both uh, limited in practice, but they're most likely to play. Same with Antonio Brown. They're saying Antonio Brown is most likely to play, but it's Antonio Brown. He could probably get in trouble for something by then. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about this because the, the really interesting matchup right now is going to be uh, the Chiefs. Um, their offensive line, well, Mahomes has been really great, uh, moving around, uh, in his like short career so far, but in the first playoff game against the Cleveland Browns, he actually got, he got turf toe. And so he's kind of limited, uh, moving and movement right now. And, um, but he, he looked all right against the Bills, but the Bills do not have as strong as a pass rush as the Bucks. And with both of our starting tackles out, I'm really worried about that. And um, so, yeah, I know McKnight probably can go into this a little bit more, too, because uh, he knows he knows it, too. Are they having capacities for the stadiums or is it still no uh, show? Or you yes. can't go to, you uh, can't go to the games <clears throat> right now. I think it is about 15,000 fans and then they're doing like 30,000 cutouts. But Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> for the halftime show this year, uh, there's no fans allowed down on the field. Like in past years where uh, fans have come down when the halftime show is going on. Uh, that's not allowed this year. It's mostly, I know there's like, most of the are medical workers and like uh, basically like first response um, <laughs> workers and then like family. Most of it. And then there's like a certain amount of fans from each team coming. But it's in Tampa. I, I'm kind of surprised they're not letting more people because Florida has been a lot looser with the rules than other states but yeah right now it's only about fifteen thousand actual people so so yeah, how does your that stadium that's pretty small for the stadium because the raymond james stadium is pretty massive yeah raymond james is about eighty thousand. yeah so that's a small a number yeah a lot of maximum capacity there yeah <laughs> i think I think COVID is not going away anytime soon. It's uh, yeah. it's gonna be like a new flu. No. You're gonna have to go get a vaccine every year for COVID and flu. So it's gonna be one of no, another one of those things. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of thought that when the new year passed, uh, that COVID would kind of just go away. I mean, a lot of us knew it wouldn't get it. Well. You know, when nobody likes like, like, the, the precautions, you know, it's going to stay. We're going to live with it now. It's crazy right now. So, yeah. It, it's it's just, I just, I can't. This year, which is very shocking with COVID, a lot of the players are against it with the All-Star game. Uh, because usually with the All-Star game, there's... Tons of people in the stands. There's celebrities there. It's usually very packed. And then there's, like, a lot of players. Because usually on each NBA team, there's about 15 players in each NBA team. But for the All-Star game, you got to think uh, there's the All-Star teams, which that's 15 each. There's coaches. There's the dunk contest. Uh, yeah. There's the rookie uh, like the rookie showcase. Yeah. Well, uh, not the rookie, but the, the rookie versus the sophomore class. So... There is at least 100 players at the All-Star game. And then 
even guys that aren't playing. There's also uh, players that aren't playing there that show up. There's celebrities. There's all this. And so I think with COVID, I, I think it would take a lot for them to actually do an all-star game. It, I don't know. The UFC, in my opinion, uh, this, the UFC, out of all the sports, has probably – well, the NBA has done really well, too. But the UFC has done the, the really – They actually are doing the voting for their all-star game. Yeah. Um, they – for the longest time, they had the fights. Um, there's no fans at all in the stands. Um, and they basically just had the fighters and the coaches there. And uh, they really – they had a couple guys that got – it wasn't anything like the NFL and college football. Like, college football especially has been hit hard by COVID. Like, uh, like Nebraska this year um, – not Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin – had to stop practicing in general for about three weeks because uh, they had 20 players get COVID. Tennessee had the same thing. Uh, Florida had some issues as well. Uh, it was kind of funny because the week after uh, was it uh, the coach for the Florida Gators at the time, he uh, said that he wanted the stands to be packed, like full capacity, uh, 70,000 fans in the stands. And then the week after his whole team basically caught COVID. And, uh, yeah, it's – I don't know. The UFC has handled it very well. Um, they have had some fans in the stands recently for, like, the Conor McGregor fight, which was – Yeah, they had 2,000. Um, but, yeah, other, other than that, they've, they've had some, some cases, but it hasn't been anything serious like the NFL or college football especially. It's just, yeah, just makes me think about like how much governors have failed their states with the whole COVID shit. I mean, hopefully, hopefully it turns out okay with the Super Bowl. I mean, they're gonna have as a fucking ridiculous amount of viewers on TV um, because of it. So, good lord! Oh yeah, it's just. I, I'm still very shocked that um, the NFL was even like I, I got to give props to the NFL because it's very it's it's a lot harder for the NFL to handle COVID than the NBA. Because you yeah. think about the NBA, they only have five guys on the court for each team at a time. So 10 guys in general on the court at a time. And they have maybe 30 players and a couple coaches at a time. But the NFL, they each have 52 man rosters. And that's without trainers, without coaches, without camera crew, without reporters there. The NFL, like football in general, it's so much it's so much harder uh to prevent that. And I'm I don't know, I'm I'm very shocked. I'm really happy with the NFL how they handled COVID. They they could have done things a little bit better, but they've they've done really well. But I don't know, this this people thinking that COVID's going to go away anytime soon. It's, it's sadly, it's not going to happen. Uh, we've experienced it. Um, is Logan Paul still fighting? Um, Mayweather? Yeah. It's, it's not set for sure, but his brother, Jake Paul is fighting very soon against Ben Askren, which I'm not very happy with the but, wrestling uh, God. Yeah. Cause basically Jake Paul, uh, the thing that uh, a lot of people don't know is uh, Jake Paul knocked out Nate Robinson, who was an NBA dunk contest champion uh, and pretty pretty good undersized NBA player. 
but he had no boxing experience. He had never fought before in a ring or anything. And so Jake Paul knocked him out and everybody's like, well, why don't you fight some real competition? And so he wanted to be sneaky and say, look, I'm fighting an MMA fighter. But people like me and McKnight know Ben Askren. If you've ever seen him, he's, he's a two-time Olympian. Uh, he's won championships in college. He wrestled at Mizzou. Um, he was also, um, he was also a champion in several other, uh, foundations, not, not the UFC because he came to the UFC a little late, but he's a great wrestler. If this is an MMA match, I would not feel confident in Jake Paul, but it's a boxing match. And so unless Ben Askren, who I believe is 35, uh, if he out of nowhere just gets a stand-up game, I don't, I don't know. It's. It's interesting because even though, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Jake Paul, he actually does have some technical skill, especially for not fighting super long. It just he hasn't really fought anybody yet. <laughs> what do you mean specifically anyone on a level of his own or higher? Um, So Jake Paul right now, he's been calling out a lot of like big time fighters like Conor McGregor, and he wants to take that step to become a boxer. He hasn't fought an actual professional boxer. His two fights, he fought another YouTuber, uh, Anderson Gibb, and who was also about 5'9", and Jake Paul is, I, I think he's about 6'1", six six and then he fought Nate Robinson, who's also 5'9", very athletic, but he's not a boxer. And so my thing is, Jake Paul has fought guys that either are his skill or below, but he hasn't fought any actual boxers yet. Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't fought a guy that's actually trained trained in the sport uh and that's like that's all they do he's fought guys yeah. that one was taking it kind of as a joke and then nate robinson just was messing around with it and he he's truly like an nba player hmm, okay yeah i always liked um ufc i i always remember watching it back uh back when i was still in high school and middle school with my dad we go to friends houses and watch some fights and whatnot. It was a lot of fun. <clears throat> you see a bunch of people like getting their shit kicked in. It's just hilarious. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and those off I'm chances a- when you get super pissed off because you paid for pay-per-view and they get knocked out in the first 30 seconds. <laughs> You're just like, well, there goes that. <laughs> there's a, there's a pretty good card this weekend, actually. Um, I know McKnight talked about it a little bit. Uh, Alistar Overing, he's a very uh, he he's very well known in UFC. He's a fucking long in the tooth. He's been doing it ever since like the nineties. No, oh, yeah, he's uh, you know memorable for you know. His At one point in time, he was like the best kickboxer <laughs> on the planet. Oh yeah, he's got he's got deadly knees. Uh, he he's knocked guys out with his just his knees in general. Um, God, that sounds like it fucking sucks. Getting kneed in the head. Yeah. The Sandman oh, is the yeah. co-main event. I can feel yep, my same. brain rocking around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this guy's like 6'5", 250 pounds. So it's like, Jesus Christ. God yeah, damn. Man. This man is just fucking huge. That's when he was Uber-Ream when he was on the juice. So. Yeah, yeah, on the juice. Said uh, said that he tapped, uh, that he felt the tap, even though no one ever tapped. But uh, I'm I'm really I'm excited for that fight. But uh, like McKnight said, I'm really excited for the Sandhagen fight. Uh, Sandhagen looked really good in his last fight against Marlon Morales, and he's fighting Frankie Edgar. And Frankie Edgar just he's came along in the tooth. Yeah, that's gonna be he's a been tough doing fight it for a while. 
Yeah, Frankie. Frankie's been fighting. He's been doing it since like 07, I think. Damn. Oh, who? Uh, Overeem? Nah, Frankie. Like in the UFC, oh, yeah. he's been like since 07, 06. The effect Frankie, that those, The effect that those sports have on the people's bodies, though, it ages you. It ages you so oh, yeah. quick. You get bad yeah, knees, it's... bad backs. It's just you just get like fucked you up. Everything. Shins. You mess up your shins. Your uh. A lot of people always think with the face um, that uh, that's the only thing. But actually, um, the big thing is in boxing, you actually um, you take more damage in boxing than UFC. Yeah. Remember, Joe Rogan talked about this on a podcast. Because UFC is only four-ounce gloves and boxing's gloves are so much thicker, you can take more punches. And so when you're taking more punches uh, to the head, uh, your brain is just bouncing around and yeah. so there's actually more higher cases of PTE boxing and that was something when I was younger I when I first really got into UFC I didn't really like think that I always thought like oh UFC they got like lighter gloves and you know you're getting hit with everything but boxing you're mainly getting hit in the body well like in the stomach or the face UFC it sucks you're you're getting beat around everywhere but you take generally less damage to the face uh, than you do in boxing, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's very interesting. I've I've kind of dug deep into it. Um, they they went really deep into it. Um, but yeah, especially that's why they said like lighter weight classes um usually uh endure more uh brain damage over time because you see heavyweight classes usually those guys because they're bigger punchers because they weigh more usually they get knocked out way quicker. But and they throw way less punches. But in the lighter weight classes, they're so fast and they're they're constantly hitting each other that their brain is just bouncing constantly. And um, yeah, it's resulted in much more brain damage from them. It's it's interesting. Like if you look at like Muhammad Ali, like that man was just totally jacked up later on in his career. And Chuck Liddell now is also messed up. <laughs> it's all out of just like a sheer just love for the sport though which is more oh, yeah. credit to them i mean if you have the ability to beat the shit out of people and you get a shit ton of money for it just do it man <laughs> do it that's what uh floyd does man floyd comes back like every couple years and uh he yeah he comes back every couple years and just to get a couple mil and then <laughs> you know you look at like love the sport you look at like just just this last year you know mike tyson versus lloyd jones these guys are in their fifties, and they're they were still fighting. And it's I thought they it was kind of a lot of safety rules, though. A lot of safety. Oh yeah, rules. they had a ton of rules, which which is smart because they're older. So exactly. the boy, it wasn't up to them, though. Yeah, oh right. yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't up to them. They didn't. They wanted to just go, but you know. Here, hold on. Uh, Cornette's knocking on my door real quick. I'll be back. Yeah, tell him to join the card, man. But basically. That's why I like it because I got into combat sports at a young age due to me. And you guys know my physical stature. Um, ooh, I'm getting real uh, fancy here. Um, at that battery pack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, cause I, I'm, I've always been small. Like, and I, I always used to be like really thin, like you guys seen. Um, so it's like I had to do something. So I started jiu-jitsu at like... 13 because even in high school i was tiny as fuck so it's like i had to do something that was geared towards the small man which jiu-jitsu is geared towards the smaller men that's how it started yep. um 
and it was really easy to grasp for me because I, I learned the movements really well, given I was smaller, so I was able to perform some more with the technique. Uh, how can you say? Perform them uh, easier. Right. Given to like some of the guys that I train with, like the really super heavyweight guys that go to the grappling competitions, like their techniques aren't as smooth and they aren't easier to pull off because we're dealing with bigger guys. So then I got into boxing and kickboxing and I got into Hawaiian Kempo and all that stuff. So yeah, this stuff I really, I'm really a nerd with it when it comes to it. Like I, mean, I really like that stuff because I not only did it for like self-defense, but after a while, me years doing it, I actually understood everything about it. And it's like, like a science, like I really understand what's going on with your body right now by me looking at you. And I'm like, yo, yeah, yeah I, I know what's about to happen. And I'm just like a chess game. Like you just really got to outthink the other person in a controlled environment. If it's a street mm-hmm. fight, different, but in yeah. a controlled environment, you kind of have, because you know what to expect, you know what they can and can't do, you know what goes on with every movement you do, what the consequences are. Yeah, you get what I'm getting at. So it's just like, it's a lot of thinking, and sometimes it's automatic if you've done right. it for a while becomes second nature and just yeah you don't even gotta think about memory. it if you gotta think about it you're too slow yeah you seize up the thing the thing that's great about martial arts in general um you know when i have kids you know i i really hope i i would like to see him like even if it's not competitive just you know learn a martial art karate anything there's there's the thing that i like is there's a martial art kind of for anybody there there's there's so many different kinds you can do, you know, um, what is it? Krava. You, you can do yeah, wrestling, yeah. uh, jujitsu, Muay Thai. There's just so many different things. And when I first started, uh, wrestling, um, I started when I was seven and, um, I really, at first I got into it just cause you know, when you're, when you're that age, your parents want you to just play a bunch of sports and do stuff. And, you know, when I was really young, I was too young to really understand. Like I, I just kind of did it. But as I got older, I really just fell in love with it. And the thing that I love um, that, you know, why I'm so big on martial arts is because, you know, it's great to learn any form of self-defense in general. Uh, It's a great workout. But then also the people that you're there with, um, you usually form a really big kind of like close close enough to like a family, basically, with a lot of these guys. a, a lot of people that I did uh, boxing with and wrestling with back home, I'm still super close with. Right. And uh, I think I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, uh, I'd recommend, you know, uh, when I tell people, if they ask me about, like, martial arts, I always tell them, like, hey, man, just because, like, you do martial arts, it doesn't mean you have to compete right away. Like, I've competed before. It's it's tough. Like, there's a difference between doing it for fun and competing. Uh, if you're doing it for fun, you don't got to worry about the weight cuts. You don't got to take worry about constantly taking punches, kicks, all that, all the damage. Yeah. But um, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, whether or not you're competing or just doing it for fun, I think I think it's a great skill to learn. And you also you learn you learn a lot, especially in jujitsu. You learn a lot about like, patience. Uh, you learn a lot of different things. Um, and that's that's where I. I've always liked about martial arts and it's, it's really cool. You know, looking back at like the history of martial arts, how a lot of these martial arts did start and jujitsu was a big, uh, jujitsu has been big for a while, but it really got big when, you know, UFC came around with the Gracie family 
and they've just evolved jiu-jitsu now, and that's one of the top top martial arts. I was doing it before I got hurt a little bit, because I was always big in wrestling, and I, I wanted to really get into jiu-jitsu, and it's it's very different. Uh, the Army Combatives implements a lot of jiu-jitsu in there, fighting off your back. It is uh, nice, but it is, it's a martial art for the smaller guy. It's, right. it's something that the smaller guy actually has a shot, like, really has a shot in, because you could, you could just break someone's arm if you really wanted to if you knew how to do it so yeah yeah it's uh going back if i may interject going back to you were talking about how you know with the martial arts you don't really have to get into the competitive aspect of it really quickly i understand that very personally as well i went to uh three state taekwondo championships when i uh, was younger and uh it's it's not something you need to do. Like it's it, it's more so. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know who that was. <laughs> yeah, it's a it it's about uh really just just learning how to defend yourself at the end of the day, and so you don't have to do it competitively. Like, yeah, you can you can get severely injured. That's that's something that you have to keep an eye out for. Luckily with Taekwondo, they take a lot of precautions. Yeah. You have to wear helmets and, uh, or padded helm, like padded armor, basically. Uh, and it's like, yeah, you could still get hurt. Obviously there's less of a chance of it, but especially when you get to like the higher levels, like you go against black belts or like up to like third, fourth degree black belts in certain martial arts, you, you, at that point, like there's no padding or anything like that. So yeah. You're you're always gonna lay like compete compare that risk of like, do I want to compete or like if if I want to compete, am I willing to get hurt for it? And that's yeah. obviously the balance there. But um, yeah, it's not like a must. There's no musts about martial arts. The the only thing at the end of the day is like either you're there to learn how to protect yourself or you're there to learn how to beat people up. It's one of the two. I have somebody in my door. So we're gonna hit the biggest point of it all, uh, the discipline aspect, because like for me, I can't speak on them. I'm at a level now where I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm semi-pro, but I haven't got my license yet here. Um, but it's like you think differently than a average person. Like so many things that you would do, you don't do it no more because you think about it differently. Um, and it just like it keeps me mild mannered. Like I don't get into fights or anything these days. Or any altercation, I'll just say, hey, you got it. You're stronger than me. And, you know, I'm going to let you have it because it's not worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. That's, uh, that's how it was for me as well. When I when I first did karate, you know, wrestling, we, we kind of went over discipline. Not as much in wrestling, but when I first did karate uh, when I was really young, that was a big thing they always talked to us about was discipline. And at the time when I did karate, when I went in there, I was – constantly in trouble I was stuff and then I came out um you know I got to learn a lot of stuff about the martial art it was really interesting learned a lot of history um made a lot of good friends but I also had like a different aspect on a like a lot of uh, a different perspective on things uh coming out of it and uh I I kind of stopped you know doing a, uh, a lot of dumb stuff um and it just it, it, you come out with a very different view after doing a martial art, uh, I it, it, it also depends on where you train. Uh, some of the trainers there could just be absolute dicks. <laughs> they could be uh, all about just, yeah, kill them. But luckily, 
in like my time fighting, I've had really good trainers that weren't like that because I never, when I did boxing and I was just coming in, I didn't get thrown in the ring right away with some dude that knew what the hell he was doing because they knew I didn't mess up. Right. And uh, you had that, thing. you had that support with your people who were coaching you that, yeah. that fostered that's, your that's, sort of growth with the sport. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's like what Jesse was saying, you know, there is this risk of getting injured, but you, you take safety precautions, you, you'll still, you can still get injured, but you know, with like sparring, we never, I never went into a sparring session with a guy where me and him tried to like take each other's heads off. Like mm -hmm. that's a big thing. Sparring is like, dude, you're here practicing, you're is, here working yeah. yourself. Like, I remember going back to high school when I was doing wrestling, that was, that was the function of sparring. It was, it was, you so when when you introduce a move, you do it slow, you know, the whole crawl, walk, run thing. Um, but it was mostly, like, I could tell you that my move was the fucking fireman. I loved the fireman carry. That shit was, that was my fucking bread and butter right there. I loved that to death. And it was just doing it slow. And then when it comes to a match, you just whip that shit out like it's no thing. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's more satisfying. When I was in wrestling, I was always, I always had to spar. I was sparring with a guy who was, I was 132 at the time. I was in that weight class. And then he was in like the 180s. And that was like oh. such a help. Cause, <clears throat> <coughs> sorry. So you go from there, you go from sparring to 180. And then you go actually go against somebody that's your weight class, and it's like nothing. You're like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. He's light as, he's super light, you know? And that was like one of the biggest things that I could have. You train harder than you actually fight with, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, I did that a lot too when I was in wrestling. Um, I was, you know, my freshman sophomore year, I wrestled at 160. And uh, I know the rules are pretty different uh, at state. I know some, like, I think California is 165. I'm not for sure on that, though. Mm -hmm. But in the Midwest, it's 160. And I was wrestling against a lot of 225 guys right. and heavyweights. And so I'd come into a match and face a guy my weight, and it'd be, it'd be nothing. It'd be yeah. like, holy shit. Like, it was literally the greatest thing that I could have done during that time. Super oh, helpful. Yeah. Yeah, because you could you could wrestle a small guy all day and you know beat him up, but you're really yeah you're really not going to get anything about it. That's also another thing I loved about uh, just any martial art is no matter how good you are, there's always somebody there better than you. There's somebody there that's been training longer than you, Heck. and it gives you it gives you a little bit of that competitive edge. Technique and for me, I will, yeah, it it helps you with technique. Technique nine times out of ten will win a fight. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter your size, nine times out of ten, technique will make you come out on top. It's like, uh, McKnight might be surprised by this. <clears throat> One of my favorite UFC fighters is uh, Michael Chiesa. Um, that, that might surprise me. Uh, but I love Michael Chiesa because he's a very tall, long guy, but he's so technically sound with his, his wrestling. And yeah. it's just, you'll see guys he's facing that uh, in his last fight. Um, you'll see guys that he's facing that like maybe have strength over him, maybe have other things over him, but they can't do anything because his he just knows he knows every move you're gonna do. If you try to do something different, he'll attack you right away, and he know he like knows what he's doing at all times in there. And that's what I love. Same thing with Khabib. Khabib's face he's faced guys like Justin Gaethje is probably more athletic than Khabib, but and Justin Gaethje also 
came in talking about how great of a wrestler he was, how great of a striker. But Eve is just so technically sound, and he does enough at stand-up, where if he gets you on the ground, it's just, it's over. Like, once he gets you on the ground, he knows every move he's doing. He knows, like, whatever yeah. you do, he can counter it. And that's just years of training. Yeah, it's and, just that muscle memory that happens. Oh, yeah. And uh, for me, like, I'd always, I always face guys that were better than me because they would teach me more. I, I always learned more from loss than a win. Like, if I beat a guy that was, you know, near my skill level, I won, then I would go on the course. But I always learned from losing to a better guy than just beating someone that I know I could beat. Because you, you go in learning that. Then you go into uh, the next time you fight him or somebody else, and you say, okay, I learned from this last time. Uh, this is what I got to do differently. And so that uh, that's what I always loved about it. It's just, uh, it, it really brings out the competitive side, and you, you end up learning a ton. And I, I luckily didn't really have any serious injuries while I wrestled. Uh, I mean, I got cauliflower here a couple times, which isn't fun, but that's that's not terrible. So, <laughs> but didn't really care anything. Had a couple, you know, bruised ribs and face, but yeah, didn't ever break or tear anything. Luckily, just basketball is my weakness when it comes to injuries. Apparently, all right, yeah. folks, we're going to be taking the next and final break for the Quantum Consumer Podcast. Uh, we'll be right back after this short break. Uh, we'll be also continuing this stream, by the way. So the show will continue on Twitch. So those who listen on Spotify, don't forget to catch us live when we're actually on Twitch. Thanks for listening. The team at QCP hopes that this little hook has hit its mark and we end up seeing you live on Twitch or becoming a dedicated listener. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As always, have a good one. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.